Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. And, uh, and a couple things. I'm getting ready to preach the third installment of this backstage series. But before we do that, i got to say two things real quick, kind of preliminary things. Thing number one, I just want to tell you this now, so when I ask you the question, you're not sitting there processing. For those of you that are processors, I'm going to give you a few minutes to think about this so you can come up with an intelligent answer. In just a few minutes, I'm going to ask for audience participation around the subject of this question. I'm going to ask you to share with me what is a situation where you find yourself feeling very impatient because people or life is not moving as fast as you would like it to move, okay? So when do you find yourself getting tensed up because someone is slowing you down and you feel impatient, all right? Think about that, and then, and then I got one other disclaimer before I start preaching. Here's the other disclaimer, and this is an honest confession. So many weeks, as, as a man, as a pastor, I don't feel qualified to stand in this place and preach God's word to God's people, um, because so often I look into the mirror of God's word and if you will I step into the backstage of my life and I look around and I go yep I've got some messes in the backstage of my life and, and I sometimes feel so disqualified or, or like I'm not the guy that should be preaching the message to the people and if there ever was a topic that I'm preaching on where I don't feel like I'm the guy who should be liver, delivering it, today is one of those days. Because what I am preaching to you today is coming out of my weakness, not out of my strength, okay? Like, I am preaching this message first and foremost to myself, and it's something God has been saying to me in recent months and really, like, parking on this issue in my life so just know that if you're sitting and going, yeah, but what about, I know, okay, like I, you, you deal with you, I'll deal with me, but I'm just telling you like, like yes, I, this is not something that I'm preaching out of my great strength and saying, do this exactly like I'm doing it. I'm going to give you a model from God's word and say, Jesus is the model and we're supposed to be following him, okay? So here's what I want to talk about today. I want to start with a quick little story and see if you guys remember this. I was reading an article about this this past week. Um, one of the greatest recalls that ever took place in the automotive industry was back in 2010. And I was reading an article about it to kind of refresh my memory. I remember the headlines about it, but it involved Toyota. And I want to ask you, do you remember what was the issue where Toyota had to recall millions of their vehicles? Do you remember what the problem was? No, not airbag. That might have happened, but that's not the one I'm talking about. Yes, yes, the accelerator was getting stuck in these Toyotas. And literally, people died as a result, people were injured as a result, and it cost Toyota billions of dollars as they had to pay out settlements and recall millions of their vehicles. And, and, and I think that is like a good metaphor of what I want to talk about today because I believe I'm speaking to people in God's house today who our accelerator is stuck to the floor and we just go, 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 and we have a very hard time of slowing our lives down, let alone stopping for any length of time. And I would contend it's costing us greatly as well. I'm calling today's message the need for speed. And again, I want to remind you kind of the metaphor of this backstage series, okay? So here's the metaphor. If you will, I'm making the point that all of us have a public life. It's the front stage part of our life that, that people see. 
It's, it's what's in the spotlight. It's what everybody looks at on the outside. It's what we put most of our focus into for that very reason. It's what everybody sees. But the truth is, we all also have a backstage part of our life. It's, it's our real soul. It's who we really are when we're not in the spotlight, when the crowds aren't watching what's happening on the front stage. And the truth is, these backstage issues in our life, like, it's darker back here. I see messes back here that you guys can't see. Um, and, and quite frankly, sometimes it's easier just to push the mess into the backstage and just focus on everything that's happening on the front stage, and let's ignore that. And the point of this series is this. If we don't deal with those backstage issues, if we don't have a healthy soul, eventually what's on the front stage is going to fall apart. So we've been talking about some backstage issues, and today I want to talk about this thing called the need for speed. Now, the point is, out here on the front stage, this is the fast lane. This is where life gets lived so fast. But I want to make a point today to help you understand that what's happening here is actually connected to something that's happening back here. So I want to just make this statement and see if you agree with me on this or not. I believe that we live in a culture that kind of elevates busyness and a chaotic, hectic life, we almost wear it as a badge of honor. Would you agree with that? We do. Like, we, we celebrate that. It's like when we have conversations and we meet people, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. And then we make a list of how busy we are. And it's almost like whoever is the busiest and has the least amount of margin in their life, you get the trophy for the day. You found a way to pack the most activity and movement into the day. You're busier than me. You must be more productive. You must be more valuable because you found a way to live faster than I live today. And we as a culture kind of celebrate that life of busyness, fast-paced, need for speed. And here's, here's what I want to get to this question with you. I think, I don't know about you, I live, my life is lived so much in a constant state of hurry. Hurry up. Hurry, hurry, hurry up. So now I want to ask you that question I told you I was going to ask you a minute ago. Just from the audience for a few minutes, this will be therapeutic, okay? Give me some examples where you find yourself frustrated at the slow pace of someone else. Go. Who wants to be first? What? Traffic. traffic. I'm going to come out and hug whoever said that, okay? The light, okay, traffic. Oh, my gosh, traffic. Sometimes my, my wife has reminded me that the left lane on the interstate is the passing lane, and you're supposed to get back over. And I'm like, why? I'm just going to end up passing someone else that's in the slow lane. She's like, it's not the slow lane. It's the driving lane and the passing lane. I'm like, no, it's the slow lane and John's lane. All right, get out of John's lane. Oh, that gets me frustrated being behind slow people. Like, don't you have anywhere to be? Because I do. So get out of my way. Someone else. What, what, where do you find yourself getting frustrated? Your kids, give me more, ex, ex, more specific. Touching everything in the store. Can we include our wives in that, or should we not do that? <laughs> let's, let's don't do that, okay? Let's don't do that, Gabe. He looked at me like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, or I got one. How about just sitting out in the car waiting for the rest of the family to come out and just avoiding that urge to hit the horn like, come on, we're in a hurry. What else? Where do you find yourself like, hurry up? My wife's coming back to high five you. That is one of her pet peeves. Like people just stand there like I'll just stand here and look at this all day and forget that I'm in the fast lane. Get out of the fast lane. What else? Take a few more. Entrance when you walk in the store and people have to get everything out and put it in their cart. You know where you're going, go. 
Oh my gosh. Thank you, Keith. Amen. What else? Give me some more. Someone has not said the one I'm thinking. Oh my goodness, yes. Like, who pays with coins anymore? Stop that. How about the checker that does this? This guy bugs me. He, go, he takes every item and he goes, boop, and then he looks at it before putting it in the bag. Like, boop, oh, have an infection, I see. Boop, like, stop looking at everything I'm buying. Just put it in the bag, right? That's annoying. I'll take two more. What, what frustrates you with slow people, slow situations? Are we done? Thank you. That is dumb. Who choose? My wife and I were just having this conversation yesterday, I think. She was reminding me of how me and all my brothers, she's like, did you have to fight for food or something as a kid? Because you all eat really fast. I'm like, no. Like, why would I sit here and enjoy food? I've got a life to live. Let's, let's eat and move on. I'll take one more. This is so therapeutic, isn't it? Alan, you're not in a hurry ever, are you? Go ahead. Ah, government bureaucracy. Yes, amen. Amen. They must be Packers fans, Alan. You should take that shirt off. But anyway, anyway, uh, nobody mentioned the one, the one I was thinking, and that's airports. I love flying. Like, I don't mind flying in and of itself, getting on a plane and flying somewhere. But it's everything that's built around the flight is all designed on how inefficient we can be and how slow we can put John in a line behind inefficient people that are slowing him down. It's like, hurry up, people. We got somewhere to be. This is therapeutic, and it's also very revealing of where we're at as a people, isn't it? Because we hate waiting. We're in a hurry constantly. Now I'm about to trip you all up. You thought we were all having this great therapeutic party about yelling at slow people. Now we're going to talk about the backstage problem of why are we constantly in such a hurry. So here's the big thought for today. If you've got your handouts and if you're following along with me, here, here's kind of the main thought I want to share with you. I would suggest that when we, when we are in a state of hurry, it's more, the hurry is more about what's going on inside of us than what's going on around us. And here's the big idea for the day, if you want to write this down, is that a hurried life is the byproduct of a hurried soul. When I'm constantly in a hurry on the front stage, it's an indicator that something backstage is unsettled. It's, it's symptomatic of an unsettled soul when I'm constantly in a hurry. Now, I'm not talking about the times, like, for instance, go back to flying. Literally, just a few weeks ago, I was flying, and both stops, coming and going from through Chicago, O'Hare's airport, both times I almost missed my flight because of nothing on my own. I was there on time, I was early, but because of weather and delays and blah, 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 I'm that guy speeding through the airport, sweating, running, get out of my way. I'm not talking about like that kind of a hurry. I'm saying when it's a lifestyle of constant hurry and movement and flurry of activity, when all of that is happening on the front stage, what it's really saying is back here in this part of my soul that nobody sees, there's something unsettled. Because I never know how to shut that off. I never know how to let off the gas pedal and simply just be. So we're going to talk about that today. And let me, let me just make this a little bit bigger of a problem for you. Because you might be like, John, I have a personality. I like being busy. And that's kind of me. I would say I like being busy. I like a little bit of stress and chaos in my life. I feel like I function best when things are chaotic. Like that's when I really can focus and get things done. But here's the problem. 
whether that's your personality or not, here's the problem. I'm not following Jesus very well when I'm living at that constant state of hurry. I think I put that on your notes to write down. Let me say it. I, if I'm constantly in a hurry, I'm not following Jesus very well. This is where I want to park for just a moment and share with you some things that God has been sharing with me in my own life. Think about it like this. Jesus is almost never in a hurry. Jesus did not live his life at that breakneck, chaotic pace of how much can I get into a day? Oh, get out of my way. I got to be to the next place. I got to be to the next appointment. Move, move. You're in my way. You're slowing me down. Jesus didn't live that way. And I've mentioned this to my church family before, but I'm going to say it again because it just, it's where I'm at, and if God's speaking to me through it, maybe someone else can, can take something away from it as well. But in recent months, back in the summer, when I took a little mini sabbatical and took some time away from church and the fire department and email and Slack and Facebook and social media and just had intentional time of disconnect, it was one of the very first days of that little brief season. I was having breakfast with a pastor friend of mine, Alex Klimchuk, who preached here a few weeks ago. He's a dear friend of mine. We are having breakfast together, and as we were talking about life and ministry and all this stuff, this word picture popped into my head, and I said, Alex, you know my problem? I said, I'm like a dog that's on the end of a leash, just pulling. Like the master's taking us in a direction, and we're out for a walk, but I'm just digging at the front of the leash, just pulling, pulling, pulling. I'm not getting anywhere, but I'm expending all kinds of energy in a hurry, and the master's not in a hurry. He's just walking, and I'm like at the end of the leash choking myself. And, and as I thought about that, I kind of, like, I, I sensed, he laughed. He thought that was the funniest thing he'd ever heard. He said, that is good, and yes, that's who you are. And, and I said, so I thought about that. And I thought, what if the master is asking me to just heal? Take some tension out of the line and come back to his side and just sit with him or walk at the pace he's walking at. Why am I in such a hurry? It, so like the next morning, I was out on one of my walks, and, and that's where I really spend time praying and connecting with the Lord. So I'm out on this walk, and I kid you not, like I sensed the Holy Spirit was saying to me in that moment, you know what you should do today, John? You should go watch YouTube videos on how to train a dog how to heal. Because I want to say something to you through that. So I did that. Like the Lord can speak through the Bible. I think he can speak through YouTube. And he did. I, I wrote journal. I took notes in my journal. I could preach a whole sermon that I learned from what God said about how to teach a dog how to heal. Why are you in such a hurry? I'm the master. Get back and focus on me. There might come a time where I clip you off the leash and say, attack, go get him. But until then, stay by my side. Walk with me. Here's, here's what I want to share with you from God's word today. When we look at the life of Jesus, we will find that Jesus modeled the discipline of solitude as a regular part of the rhythm of his life. I just said a lot to you in that sentence right there. Jesus modeled for us the discipline of solitude. Remember last week we talked about this isolation thing. I said, here's a backstage issue. When nobody in your life has an, a backstage pass to speak into these issues, that's isolation. You're living alone and in loneliness and cut off from relationships with others. If this is only the, the depth of your relationships, it's shallow. You need people that can come into the backstage. And I told you last week that isolation is different from solitude. Today we're going to talk about solitude. Isolation, not good. Solitude is good. Jesus modeled solitude as a part of the rhythm of his life. 
So I want to just give you a couple examples, and, and hopefully we can get a picture of what this looks like. In Matthew 14, here's an example. Verse 13, the context here is Jesus just found out, he just received the news that his cousin and forerunner, John the Baptist, had been killed, had been beheaded in prison for the cause of Christ, essentially. But, but here's what happens. Here's his response. It says in, in Matthew 14, 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Let's think about this before we just run on to the next verse. Let's stop for a moment. Jesus just got devastating news of loss, grief. And what does he do? He says, man, I got to go to a quiet, solitary place. Why? Because I'm going to process this. I'm going to feel this. That's healthy. That's emotionally healthy. It's spiritually healthy. But what do we do? What do so many, how do we medicate when we get bad news? When when we don't want to face something, fill my life up with more. Step on the accelerator. Let's go faster because if I'm busy and constantly moving, I won't have to slow down in a solitary place long enough to feel that pain of that loss. Let's just keep going. Jesus went to a solitary place to be alone, to feel it. But if you keep reading in that passage, ministry happened. People showed up. They had needs. And what did Jesus do? He had compassion on the crowds. He ministered to them. He taught them. He actually performed a miracle for them. He took a limited amount of food, multiplied it, fed thousands of people. But then he gets back to the business of solitude. He puts his disciples in a boat, sends them to the other side of the lake. And then it says in verse 23, it says, after he sent the crowds away, what did Jesus do? He sat down and binge watched a whole season on Netflix. No, it doesn't say that. It says he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. We get this picture of our Savior understanding the necessity for solitude. Let's let off the accelerator and let's go to a quiet place where I can be alone with my Father and process and think and recover and heal and be re-energized and be restored in a quiet place. That's what Jesus did. That's what he modeled for us. Here's another one. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. I'm just giving you some examples from the Gospels. Mark writes this, Very early in the morning, some of you um, just had your mind blown with that statement right there. Very early in the morning, while it is still dark. You're like, is it possible to be up before the sun? It is. Jesus modeled it, whatever I'm just saying. Jesus got up, and look what he did. He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to make this like a, a commandment on your life to get up tomorrow morning before the sun. But in winter in South Dakota, it's almost necessity. Like, you've got to get up before the sun, because it doesn't even get light till like 10 in the morning now, right? So, um, but, but I'm telling you, Jesus modeled this whole thing of getting out of bed on, at a decent time. And there's a lot of other heroes of our faith in the Bible that had this as part of the rhythm of their life. They had this pattern of getting up early and seeking the Lord. I think there's something to that. And I'm not going to get into the debate about morning people versus evening people. If you're an evening people and you can do productive, healthy things in the evening, that's great. But here's, what I, here's my big pushback to those of you that go, I can't do mornings. I'm just going to make this case. I think a lot of times we trade some of the best hours of the day for some of the worst hours of the day. And I know I'm preaching blasphemy to some of you, but here's, here's what my experience was. My experience was, what, years ago I came to this realization that my evening hours, I was giving myself to junk food and TV, just kind of vegging out. 
at the expense of my morning time. And I made a deliberate decision. I'm going to kind of cut down on some of this. I'm going to actually get to bed so that in the morning I can get up and my mind is fresh and I get, it's, it's way more productive in the morning. And I know I'm sitting here talking about the need for speed, but I'm just saying like for me, the morning hours are far more efficient, productive, valuable than what I get accomplished, even spending time alone with the Lord. At night, it's just hard for me. So I just think there's something to be noted there. Again, do it however it works for you. But Jesus apparently was a morning person, and I want to be like Jesus, so I'm going to get up early in the morning. All right, here's another one. Mark chapter 6, verse 31. It says, Then, watch this, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. Can you imagine that level of busyness? He said to them, this is so counterintuitive, he said, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. What? Jesus I just got done reading where it says, because so many people were coming, you're so busy, you don't even have time to eat, Jesus. And so what was his response? His response was, time out, time out, take your foot off the accelerator. To my team, to my disciples, come with me. We're going to a quiet place to have some solitude, and you're going to get some rest. Here's how my mind would approach that problem. If, if all of a sudden we had this thing happening where so many people are coming, we don't even have time to eat because they're so, the, the need is so great in people's lives, guess what we would do? We need to hire more staff. we got to have better systems and structures. we got to get more done so we can get more people in here so we can meet their needs and feed them. And Jesus said, time out. Because the need is so great, we're going to go to a solitary place we're going to rest. That is so counterintuitive to how I think and probably to how you think. One more example from the New Testament, Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. It says, yet the news about Jesus spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. So Jesus's popularity's on the rise like he's becoming this rock star people are coming to him because he he heals people he meets needs he has love and compassion he teaches with authority he's so different than these old testament priests and and pharisees like there's something new and attractive about this jesus and people are coming to him and how does he respond it says but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray and we know he ministered to people. We know that he made a difference in people's lives, but he also had this modeling thing going on for us where he said, time out, I'm going to a place of solitude to be alone with my father to pray. Because if I'm not having a quiet, if, if there's not solitude in my soul, I will not have a life of solitude out here. I will have a life of chaotic, crazy busyness. I hope you're starting to see as you evaluate your life, like, man, yes, I live in this crazy culture, all this fast-paced stuff. What's happening behind the scenes that's constantly making me live that way and not, not putting this place in my life where I can be alone with the Lord? I, I want to describe, I think I put this, spelled this out on your handouts for you. I just want to describe a little bit of what does solitude look like? Because for us, this is so counterintuitive to how we live our lives we don't even know how to do solitude. So I've just given you a few bullet points. Hopefully this is just some practical stuff. And as I describe it, you'll recognize why this is so counter to our culture. This is just not how we live. Here's a few things about solitude, some of the essential elements. Solitude requires being present instead of being productive. Just that phrase alone I find annoying. I would rather be productive than present, right? Like who cares if I'm present or not? Let's get stuff done. 
But solitude isn't about getting stuff done. Solitude is about being present in the moment with the Lord and with yourself, as crazy as that sounds. Let all the productivity stop and let's just be present for a moment. Uh, Solitude requires listening instead of talking. And no one needs to just fill in the obvious gap of why that's hard for me, right? I'm a talker, not so much a listener. But solitude isn't about what John has to say. Solitude is about what God wants to say in that quiet moment to me. This next one's big in our culture. Solitude requires quiet instead of noise. That's why we don't do it. It's because we wake up and from the moment we get out of bed, the TV's on and it's going to stay on all day long in the background, just as noise. The earbuds pop into our ears. The social media feed is just coming at us all day long. It's noise, 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 noise. If you've got kids, I don't even need to say anymore, right? Like the minute those little things get out of bed, it's noise until they go to bed. And and here's the thing, I often say this about God. It's not that God is incapable of shouting over all of that noise because he can do it, and I believe sometimes he will do it. The truth is, though, so often he simply chooses not to. Because so often it seems that the voice of God comes through a whisper in that still, quiet place of solitude. That's when God speaks. And I think so often God probably looks at his kids just running like crazy because of the front stage of our life is so crazy. He's like, you know, I'd love to talk with you if you'd simply just come backstage with me for a moment and put yourself in a solitary place. I would speak to you. But you you just have so much noise happening in your life. You're not even leaning in for a moment to check in and listen. So solitude is is, is about... quiet instead of noise another thing it requires stillness instead of busyness yet again a reason that it doesn't come naturally to me i like to move i like to go i like to be doing something i don't just like to sit still for very long but that's what solitude is about it's about sitting still and stopping the action for a moment taking a pause letting off the accelerator here's another reason we avoid solitude solitude requires going internal instead of external. I don't mind doing all this front stage stuff for everyone else and the stuff you see, but when it's just me and my thoughts and my quiet time with the Lord in the backstage, I don't, ever, I don't always like looking around at the mess in my backstage. I, I don't always like taking this internal evaluation of what's going on in my real soul. It's easier just to focus on the stuff you all see to the neglect of what you don't see. And solitude puts us in that place where we're looking inside and saying, God, how's my soul? How's my relationship with you today? Solitude requires facing who we are instead of projecting who we want people to think we are. We kind of talked about that in week one, where we get our sense of identity, right? And the pretender thinks their value comes from what people think about them, not who they really are in their relationship with Christ as a precious child, son or daughter of the king. And see, solitude is about all of this stuff, and it's why we don't do it. I just want to ask you today. Today, here's what I know. Being the the Sunday after Thanksgiving, I know this is usually a week where we're speaking quite literally to to more of our church crowd. My assumption today is I'm speaking to way more believers than non-believers. And if you're not yet in Christ in just a moment, I'll talk to you about how you can have a faith relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus. But for those of us who are 
followers of Jesus Christ. Today, here's really what I want to challenge you with is this question. What does your habit, your discipline of solitude look like in your life? Can you even think back to the last time that you intentionally put yourself in a solitary place for this purpose? To connect with the Lord. Real quick, I just want to give you a quick practical tool um, based on a book that I read. And this is not a prescriptive thing for your life. This is not, thus says the Lord. This is just a, a man's idea. But I think these disciplines are healthy, whatever it ends up looking like in your life. So this is just a practical tool. I'm describing, if you will, I'll, I'll kind of bring you into my solitude for just a moment and tell you a tool that I've been using for a while now. And, and I didn't even know I was using this guy's tool until I read his book. And I was like, actually, I kind of am doing some of these things. And, and so I just want to share this with you real quick. The name of the book is called The Miracle Morning. And I know some of you are like, those two words don't even belong together in the same sentence, right? The Miracle Morning. But if you will, on your notes, I have a few things I want you to write down. It's not on the screens. Uh, here's the acronym. Write this word downward on your piece of paper. Six things. The word is SAVERS, S-A-V-E-R-S. S-A-V-E-R-S. I'll quickly give them to you. And again, I'm not doing the book any justice. Go read it for yourself. But the S stands for silence. And the author talks about how this can be, you know, silence or meditation or prayer or whatever. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment because I want to give you another practical tool for your toolbox. But silence is the first thing. The second one is the A is affirmations. And again, some of you are going to laugh at this and go, that sounds kind of hokey. But it's, it's literally just a discipline of verbally out loud affirming things that are true over your life. I'll tell you what I use often when I, when I kind of do this solitude thing. I'll use that list I gave our church two weeks ago, the list of who I am in Christ, those promises of what God says is true about me, whether I'm feeling it on a Monday morning or not. And I'll just verbally for five minutes or so read through that list and declare out loud those things that I need to hear and be reaffirmed because the day's about to get noisy the lies are about to start hitting me even some of it's going to come from my own mind i'm going to say horrible things to and about myself and i just need this moment of solitude to let god's truth wash over me so the a is affirmations the v he, he talks about it's a how does he word it vision visualization i almost said vision i knew that wasn't it visualization i'm not going to go deep into this but here's the big idea like if you study the life of successful athletes professional athletes they have a discipline where they will visualize themselves doing whatever it is they're doing and they find success through that just had this conversation a week ago with my youngest as we've been out pursuing his first ever deer with a bow and arrow and i'm like okay as we're sitting here just visualize what it looks like the steps you're going to go through because when that buck comes in you're going to have this adrenaline coursing through your veins so just visualize, think about it, be under control, right? So anyway, you can read the book and, and learn more about the visualization. The E is for exercise. Don't need to go deep into this. Exercise is good for our bodies. Daily moving of our body is healthy in so many ways. The R stands for reading. And so he challenges you as part of your morning routine to have reading built into the day. For me, as a Christian, I try, and I don't always get this right, but I would say the majority of the time, I don't read anything else in the day until I have first read from God's word. Like that is top of the list for me, spending time with the Lord in his word. So spend a few minutes reading, about 15 to 20 minutes of reading a day. You can get through the entire word of God. Like God will speak even in those short little moments of spending time with him in his word. And then the S stands for scribing or journaling is what he's really saying there. 
And this, since I read the book, this is a practice I've picked up here recently again where it's like that journaling forces us to look internal, to stop and think about how am I processing the events of yesterday? What am I feeling about this right now? Like, what, where, where am I worried? Where am I anxious? Okay? So I want to go back real quick, share one more little practical tool, and then we're going to pray and I'll get out of the way. Under this heading of, of S, the silence, I'm going to use a word that's going to freak some of you out, but it's the word meditation. And it's a, it's a tool that was given to me a long time ago about how to meditate on Scripture. So I'm going to give you one verse and then show you what this looks like. Here's the verse that God has just, a few months ago when he showed me that whole thing about me being that rabid dog at the end of the leash, just foaming at the mouth, pulling. He hit me with this verse, Psalm 46.10. I want you to write this down and I'll show you what this form of meditation looks like. The verse simply says this, Be still and know that I am what, church? God. Be still and know that I'm God. The, the verse says a few more things than that, but that's like the heart of the verse. Psalm 46.10, be still and know I am God. So here's what meditating on a verse can look like. This is not always do it this way. This is just one tool to put in your toolbox. But when I have like observed this moment of solitude in my life, and you can read in the book, he gives you different ways to do it in a busy, hectic life or you know, how you can have longer times or shorter times. But for that little S part, the silence part, I'm in this quiet place. I don't actually come on stage and stand back here, right? But, I, but I'm seated quietly before the Lord. And I'll set a timer, 10, 15 minutes. And, and then I meditate on this verse, be still and know that I'm God. Now here's, here's a tool for meditating on a verse. You keep reading the verse again and again, but each time through, pull a different word, kind of highlight, put the emphasis on that word. And you kind of get a new meaning every time you go through that verse or a deeper understanding. So let me give you an example. If you wrote the verse, be still and know that I'm God, watch this. You start by highlighting the word be. Be still and know that I'm God. Not do, just be. In this moment, just be present right now. Be be what? Be busy? Be worried? Be anxious? No, it says be still. So stop doing what you're doing. Stop the activity. Just in this moment, be still. Sit quietly. Be still. Be still. And here's the next word I would pull out. Be still and know. Not wonder. Not doubt with a bunch of uncertainty. Is he really there? Is he really faithful? Is he really going to provide? No. Be still and know in your heart. Believe it. Know. Be still and know that, here's the next word I would pull out, I am God. I, not you, John. Newsflash, I'm God. I'm all-powerful. I'm all-knowing. I'm everywhere all at once. I'm God, John. You're not. Be still and know that I. Okay, so I'm just sitting here quietly in this moment, running through this verse again and again, thinking through the implications of that. Be still and know that I am I am. Remember earlier when I tied that song in, we sang, I said it was going to, whew, it's just powerful. I am. We serve the great I am, not the great I was, not the great I will be there tomorrow, even though both of those are true. We serve the great I am right now with all the needs in your life, with all of the pain, with all of the loss, with all of the stress, with all of the busy chaoticness. John, in this moment, be still and know that I am right now. I am God. I am the great I am. I am the provider. I am the healer. I am everything that I say that I am. 
You see how that works? Like, that's a good tool to reach for in a moment of meditation, in a moment of solitude, to just park on a, on a verse, a promise, and just pull, highlight, emphasize a different word as you go through, and let God's word, that's kind of like a way, the way I heard it described is kind of gross. It's like when a cow chews its cud, you know what that means? They swallow some hay, then they burp it back up and chew on it some more, swallow her down, burp it back up, chew on it some more. They're extracting every bit of nutrients that they can get out of that. And that's what we do when we meditate on Scripture. We just let that mull over again and again, and we just pull every bit of goodness from that Scripture and let it feed our souls. That doesn't have to look that way for you every single morning or afternoon or evening. It's just one way. But here's the big thought today, church. And I'll go first and admit it in my own life. Hi, my name's John, and I'm addicted to speed. Because going back to week one, somewhere deep down back here, I don't want to admit it's true because it's ugly and it's dark and it needs to be cleaned up, but somewhere back here, I believe that if I'm constantly filling my life with more busyness, achieving, goal setting, that you'll like me more. You'll think better of me than if I'm just me because what I have to offer in and of myself isn't enough. So if I can just work hard and fill my life and be driven and see none of that's true and putting myself in a solitary place where I can just be a son of God, and that's enough. Not because of the titles I have, not because of the accomplishments I've achieved, but because of who he says I am. That's enough. And solitude is a daily discipline that brings me back to that place and helps stem that tide of craziness. What does it look like for you in your life? I'm going to close this out in a word of prayer, and I just want to say this. I believe God's word to his people in this place today is, you need some solitude in your life. Solitude is a solution for living a life with an accelerator constantly stuck to the floor. I would say this before I close in prayer. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, please don't leave here before having a conversation with myself or one of our pastors or one of our volunteers. We would love to show you from the word of God how you can have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And even from where you're sitting right now, as I close us out in a word of prayer, you can call on the name of Jesus. And the Bible promises that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be what, church? Saved. It's a promise. And we can show you how to have that eternal relationship with Jesus Christ today. So don't walk out of here today not knowing Christ. But please, let's walk out of here today with a commitment. We're going to slow some things down. There's a time to move. There's a time to get stuff done. There's a time to be productive. We're really good at that in our culture. What we're not so good at is that time, that necessary time to slow down, to be still before the Lord, to know that he is God, and to just have that solitude in our life. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer today. God, thank you for this time you've given to us. I confess, Lord, humbly, I confess before you and before my church family today that this message hits me square between the eyes. Because when left to my own ways, when left to my default settings, my accelerator goes to the floor quickly and it has a very hard time letting off. I'm addicted to speed. I believe wrong messages that, that say somehow my life is more meaningful or valuable if I can do more, accomplish more, and do it faster. And it's not true. Lord, I pray that today you would just speak to my heart and to the hearts of your people in this place. So often we're running at such a chaotic pace. We miss so many needs for ministry happening around us. We completely miss loving the people you've put directly in our path 
because we're so busy and so distracted. God, I pray you'd forgive us for that. And I pray that you would just help us be part of the counter culture. That in the midst of this chaotic environment, we are a people that have a soul that is at rest and that is a peaceful soul that then plays out in other ways in the front stages of our life where there's peace and there's calm and there's trust and life moves along, yes, at a steady clip, but not at a chaotic pace where we're just feeling like we're spinning out of control. God, thank you that you love us enough to tell us to slow down. Thank you that you love your children enough to say, it's time to put your toys away and go to bed and get some rest. I pray that you would help us to receive this today, Lord. It would be very easy just to go, well, that's a great message for somebody, but I've got somewhere I need to be and I'm in a hurry to get there. Lord, please help us to hear this message for ourselves, whatever you want to say to our hearts. I pray that you would just bless the remainder of our service together this morning, Jesus. We love you. It's in your precious name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Cast Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv. 